morning. I'm glad y'all are here today. I know this is a big weekend for vacations, but we're, we're thankful to see you here this morning. A few weeks ago, Beth and I went to Jonesboro to eat. We took Lainey and one of her friends and our two little kids um, to Sumo's to eat. I think I could be the face of the franchise for Sumo's. And then we went to Andy's, which is why I could be the face of, of the franchise for Sumo's. But we had these four kids in our car, me and Beth, and we're between Sumo's and Andy's. And we're going down the road, and this guy pulls up beside us, and he is just tripping. I mean, like, pointing and, and just, I mean, you can tell he's trying to stay beside us. And I didn't see it at first, but Beth's like, man, this... This guy beside us is going nuts. And so I look over there, and he's like pointing, and, and I make eye contact with him. And his car like slows down really slow. So I was like, what's going on with this guy? So I slow down really slow and wo- roll the passenger side window down, and, and he, he stops, and he, he kind of rolls his window down, and he said, I was telling you get off the phone. And he sped off. Like, Okay. I mean, it was really weird because I wasn't on the phone. Like, I don't know what the dude saw me do. I mean, I don't know if I stayed too long at the last red light or what, but I mean, he was tripping, like pointing and yelling. And then I was like, what's going on, Brandon? He's like, get off your phone and sped off. Okay. Well, I mean, I gave him a funny look, I'm sure, but I was like, I don't really give a rip what that guy says to me. I don't, I don't know who you are, but who cares? The next time I thought about that was in preparing for this sermon this morning. But then there was this other time. So I was coming home, and David Dowd was in the truck with me. We were coming home from Nashville. And uh, got pulled over by the Earl P.D., in Earl, and uh, got stopped, and I look behind me, and there's two cars stopped behind me, and I'm like, my goodness, what did I do, you know? And uh, he he walked up, one of, or both of them walked up there, and they were like, you're going too fast. We caught you back there, and I was like, man, I don't really think I was, but there's two of you. And I don't really want to get busted today with one of the Bridge Church members with me, you know. So whatever, just give me my ticket. Well, the next day, I called to pay my ticket. Somebody I knew answered the phone, and she was like, I, I said, hey, I got, I got a ticket in Earl. It was one of those inattentive driving tickets. Y'all ever got one of those? Um, I got a ticket in Earl, and I just want to pay my ticket. And she was like, Dustin, you're a preacher. What are you doing speeding? And I was like, I know sinful. Um, I don't really think I was speeding, but you know, whatever, I'm going to pay the ticket. She said, just give me a couple minutes, I'll call you back. Well, she called me back, and she said, the ticket's taken care of, they pulled the ticket, it's all good. So, awesome. About a month later, I was at home trying to minister to my ex-orphan son, it was some family time. And so I had left my phone on the charger, and I went to check my phone, and there's like 25 text messages and a bunch of phone calls on my phone. 
Some of them were from a friend, and some of them were for Beth, from Beth about what the friend was saying. They were like, they forgot to pull your ticket. You need to call. So I called this friend, and I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And they were like, they didn't pull your ticket, you didn't show up for your court date, your license has been suspended, and you have a fine to pay. Actually, they're wanting your address. What's your address? They're wanting to come to your house. And I'm like, what are they wanting to come to my house for? And they're like, well, they're going to come get you. (laughs) And I was like, bro, can I just pay the ticket? And they they were like, yeah. But I said, I'll be up there in a minute. No, you can't drive. Your license is suspended. (laughs) What, can you pay the ticket for me? Well, well, yeah, I can pay the ticket for you, but I don't think I've got that much money. I was like, it's like $125. Like, no, 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 no. Since you didn't come to your court date, the fine's like two grand. And I was like, I mean, my knees are weak right now, thinking about it. I was like, well, can I go to the bank? Well, don't let anybody catch you because your license is suspended. It's like every time I tried to do something to help my situation, there was a wall blocking me from getting myself covered. And this went on for like three days, this conversation. Actually, it was about probably four minutes. But um, finally, this person said, just kidding, it's a prank. So we're not friends anymore. And since then, I have had, I've been in counseling. And... Um, I'm not going to say whose name it is because they're in the room this morning, Um, but I might throw my Bible at them or something. But what was it about the first one that when he said what he said to me, I, I don't care what that cat says, but the second one, it scared me to death because the first brother, I don't know what his problem was. But he had no authority over me. But police officers and judges have authority to change my future. This morning I want to look at Jesus' authority. The title of the message is The King of Compassionate Authority. And I want want us to look at John chapter 8. This story out of John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 2 through 12. At dawn, Jesus went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, 
the one without sin among you should cast should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When, when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? So no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So in this story, Jesus is at the temple, so he's at the worship place. You've got to remember that. This is the place where people come to worship God. And, and, and while he's teaching, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, bring this woman that they caught in adultery... And they bring her to the center of the worship place. And they start accusing her in front of everybody. How humiliating. And then to trap Jesus, they say, Jesus, in Moses' law, it says we should stone this woman. What do you say? And, and then... Jesus bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. And I don't, I don't know exactly what that means. But I think it's a sign that Jesus was a God that came down here and he's not scared to get in our dirty. He's writing in the dirt with his finger. And he says, well, go ahead and stone her, guys. But let the one who hasn't sinned yet throw the first stone. So they drop their stones one by one, and they leave. And then he looks at this woman who has to be humiliated, and I wonder if stoning probably sounded pleasant to her at the time because of what she just went through with these religious leaders bringing her to the center of the room and pointing out her sin. Where'd they go? None of them condemned her. I. And he told her to leave and sin no more. And then he makes this statement about being the light of the world. There's three things that I want us to pull out of this passage and talk about. And I want to make an application for each one as we go. Uh, so, so track with me. The first thing that I see from this passage that I think is, is very important for every person in this room to understand. Is that religious people... Listen to me, religious people hurt people. Religious people hurt people. Religion is always a trap. It's a trap for those who are trying to be religious, and it's a trap for those that the religious people interact with. It's always a trap. They were trying to trap him, and religion is always a trap. In this story, they bring the lady to the center of the worship building. I've got a lot of questions about this story. But my, my first primary question is, so if they caught her in adultery, there had to be a man too, right? So why is she the only one in the middle of the room right now? Why did they grab the woman and bring her to the middle of the room if they caught her in adultery? Somebody else was involved, right? 
Let me tell you something about religion. Religion always points out the flaws of other people, but it justifies the flaws in its own life and in the life of the people who share its agenda. Religion is really good at being able to pick and choose who's bad and who's good. And it's a trap. And if you chase after religion in your life, it will kill you and it will kill whoever is connected to you. It is a trap. The, the bridge, hear me clearly, the bridge is not here to force some kind of religious agenda on you. That's not what we're trying to do. We want to build a bridge to get you to Jesus and let him do whatever he wants to with you. We don't have a religious agenda that you have to follow some weird set of rules that nobody's real clear about, and there's good and there's bad. There's not good and bad. It's, it's those who cling to Jesus in all their brokenness and those who don't. We're all very broken people who need Jesus. Thank you. Amen. The application for this point is to let go of religion and step into a renewed relationship with Jesus. You're, you're going to hear me harp on this a lot, this abandoning religion, because religion almost caused me to lose my faith. I kept trying to do this good little church boy thing, and I, I couldn't do it. I was hitting a wall, and I had these weird expectations on people. But, but when I came to the point where my hope was clinging to Jesus, and that's all, I found freedom. And I found life. And it's good. And it's fun. So I, I don't want for you to be caught up in religion... I want you to be caught up in Jesus. The difference is that religion is always trying to do the right things to earn favor with God. A relationship with Christ is understanding that I have favor because of what He's done for me. I'm not trying to get to God. God came to me. And I put my faith in that. Uh, Monday, we found out that we lost Nick Taylor, who had been a part of the bridge, and, and they asked me to do his funeral on Thursday, and to do that, I got, I got Nick's Bible that he was using, and he marked uh, Luke chapter 7 in his Bible, and, and in Luke chapter 7, there's this story of these Pharisees inviting Jesus over to, their ha over to his house to eat. And while he's eating with the Pharisees, this broken, sinful woman who the Bible calls sinful comes in the door uninvited and she starts weeping, weeping. And she, with, with her tears, she's, she's washing the feet of Jesus and wiping them dry with her hair and she starts kissing his feet and anointing them with this expensive oil. And the religious people say, 
if, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of bad woman that is touching him. And Jesus tells this story. He says there's a creditor and, and two people owe him debt. One, one, owe the, one owes the creditor 50 denarii and the other one owes the creditor 500 denarii. But the cre- creditor forgives both. Who's going to love the creditor more? And the Pharisees said the one that was forgiven the most. And Nick had highlighted verse 47 in Luke chapter 7. And it says, you're right. Those who are forgiven much, love much. And Nick lived that. Nick wasn't perfect. He, he walked in brokenness, but he knew that Jesus Christ loved him dearly. And he lived passionate for him because of that. Religious folk try to put God in this place where he owes us something. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. People walking in step in relationship with Jesus understand how much they've been forgiven and then they live passionately from that place for Jesus. Listen to me. If there's a hint of religion in you, Man, whatever that is, if there's a hint of religion in you, I'm begging you today to release it and live in freedom. Walking with Jesus is good. Number two, broken people hurt people. When I read this story, I wonder about the man's wife. Like, what's she thinking? You know she's got to be hurt. And maybe when she sees Jesus forgiving this lady that had, had hurt her and, and broken her relationship with her husband, maybe she even felt betrayed by Jesus. When, when you're building relationships with broken, hurting people, You need to be prepared. They're going to hurt you. It's just the honest truth. And the the vision of the bridge is to go out into the community and build relationships with people that are far from Jesus. And when we do that, those people are going to hurt us. They are. I feel like it's part of my job to prepare you for brokenheartedness when people are found in these deep places of darkness they don't just step out of it one one day because of a prayer they prayed and then they can make these long strides and these huge strides and then backtrack and it's going to break our hearts when that happens and we have to be prepared for that we have to prepare our souls to encounter this hurt, this brokenness. When, when we help people and, and we see them abandon Jesus or when we see them take strides and we're cheering them on and then all of a sudden they take 30 steps back, it's going to hurt. And it's going to happen. Because broken people hurt people. Those who don't know Jesus yet hurt people. The application here is to never view people who do not know Jesus yet as the enemy. You hear what I'm saying to you? 
when, when we're hurt by people in the community that don't know Jesus yet, or maybe they're young in their walk with God, don't view them as the enemy. The church can get it so backward here where we start yelling at people that don't believe like us. We start yelling at them and saying, why don't you act right? Why don't you act right? Well, they don't know Jesus yet. They're not going to act right. They may not love us the same way we love them because they don't know Jesus yet. Don't view them as the enemy. We'll never reach people that we have in our minds as our enemy. It's never going to happen. If we're yelling at people, you should change, you should be like me, you should change, you should change, you should change, you're, you're stupid, you're terrible. Do you think that makes them want to embrace Jesus and come be with us? Absolutely not. Don't put them in the place of the enemy. We have an enemy, but it's not people. No people are our enemy. They are dearly loved and pursued by God. And we cannot put them in the place of the enemy. Number three. This is the best one, I think. Jesus has the authority to eliminate guilt. If you'd been any other person that day... They, had, they would not have been able to say the words Jesus said. Like if it would have been me that day and I said to that lady, your sins are forgiven, well, her offense was not against me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can't forgive a sin that has not offended me. Let me, let me tell it like this. So we're sitting in this room and Dalton stands up and he walks back there and he slaps Lindell. <laughs> I mean, I don't recommend that. But, but what if he does? He, he goes back there and he slaps Lindell. And, and Mark stands up and Mark says, hey, I'm Lindell's friend. I forgive you. I mean, that don't... Okay, well, maybe it offended Mark a little bit that Dalton slapped Lindell because he's his friend, but it's not forgiven because Mark says, I forgive you. The offense was primarily at Lindell. And what if the police come in here and pick up Dalton and they take him to jail and then he goes to his court date and he walks in the courtroom and the person behind the bench is Lindell. <laughs> Dalton's in a world of trouble. The person that he primarily offended is also judge. And he has the authority and every right to say, get away from me, you're in jail for the rest of your life. But, he also has the authority to say, you are 100% forgiven. No more guilt. Not guilty. And there's nobody else that needs to say not guilty. Because the one who has been primarily offended has also forgiven completely. 
It's the same way with Jesus. When you and I sin, when you and I make a mistake, when you and I offend even other people, the primary offense is against Jesus primarily. And he has every right, every right in the world to say, you're sinful, spend eternity away from me. Do not ever talk to me again. I want no part of you. He has every right. He would be just in saying that to every one of us in this room because we have primarily offended him deeply. But when we put our faith in his perfection, he also has the authority to say 100% clean. Never, ever, ever think about it again. 100% clean. No more guilt. Nobody else has that kind of authority. Nobody else can do that. The application for that point is to ask Jesus to free you from any guilt today and live in light of that freedom. Listen to me, y'all. Sometimes the, the person that is hardest to forgive is ourselves. Sometimes the person that is, that is hardest to, to get over a matter is ourselves. But when Jesus, has, when Jesus has completely freed you from your sin, when you've asked him to save you, when you've repented of your sin and, and he's wiped it clean, there's nobody that can condemn you, not even you. Don't live under condemnation if Jesus has freed you from it. Today, if you're you're still walking in your sin, I'm going to beg you to not turn to religion. Religion's not going to help you. You're going to try in religion and it's going to kill you. And you may walk away from the Lord completely. I want to ask you, I want to beg you urgently to turn to Jesus and repent of your sin and ask Him to free you from your guilt and then live in that freedom and and worship Him and follow Him passionately because of what He's done for you. He has the authority to free you completely. Let me pray for us. If, if you need to respond, if you need to come visit with me during these last couple of songs, feel free to find me and we'll visit. Father, we come to you today and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you offer us complete freedom. I... I believe that there are probably people in here that are living in bondage to something they did five minutes ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, and it's crippling their walk with you, God. I pray for freedom for them. Father, there may be people here that know they need a right relationship with you, and their, their path to find that is to try to do things better try to do more right things. Maybe they're here today, this morning, because they want to please you with being at church this morning. Father, will you free them from that and show them that, that freedom is found only in your Son?
Father, we pray that you're worshipped today, that, that you hear our songs, that you hear our hearts crying out to you, and that you're pleased. Be among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.